Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. That's... Well, uh, man, what, a, what an honor, and that was, uh, that was a very kind introduction. Um, lower your expectations, okay? <laughs> Would you do that with me? No, man, what an honor to be here today, and uh, I, have, I have prayed for you, and uh, I have um, spent time talking about you, and uh, we're, he's going to fix it. I'm, I'm sure he will. Uh, media guys get all the attention in the church because when things, uh, when things don't go right, everybody looks at them and says, don't you know? And of course they know. Uh, but uh, I, I think, honestly, they are one of the most underthanked groups of people uh, in any church. Would you give the media team a big hand today and just say thank you to them? Uh, it, it is my honor to be here. I actually got to, to dedicate... Brea 10 years ago, and um, so here we are uh, at her uh, water baptism, and I get to be in the room. What, a, what an honor. Um, I also got to hold her when she was a little baby all the time, and um, I could put her to sleep when Ryan couldn't. It was just, uh, it was just fantastic, and so I, I love this family. How many love Ryan and Stephanie? Man, what an amazing... Um, I, I'll tell you, we love them. They came, um, we had planted a church in 1997, and we're at a real strategic point in our journey and really needed somebody to come to our side and just help serve and help build. And Ryan and Stephanie came and invested themselves fully. Uh, and uh, how many know that's how they function? That's how they operate. They, they go all in. And uh, that's what they did. They came to a city that was not impressive at all, uh, but it was in need of Jesus, and they came. And to this day, there are people that are in that church that I've actually moved on from. I still relate to it much like this. I, I go speak and, and pour in, but um, another pastor now is leading that vision. But um, there are people there that were discipled under Ryan and Stephanie that are still serving and still going the extra mile uh, in that church. And so I just want to thank you, Ryan and Stephanie, for fruit that remains, not only here, but in other places. And uh, I'm excited for what God is doing at Love City Church in this city. And uh, I do believe that, um, man, today, even at, the, at the, the, the two-year mark of this church, I really do believe that God is up to something strategic. He's up to something prophetic. And prophetic, if you're unaware of what that word means, it just simply means uh, that God has a word for you today. Uh, prophetic means um, uh, people hear God's voice, and they hear it in a variety of ways. We hear it through the reading of the scripture. We hear it in our spirits. And sometimes we hear it through other people because other people hear from God, and God speaks to somebody for you. And I believe God's given me a word for you today, but not only that, I believe that God is speaking to your church for this city. Uh, your name, I believe, is even prophetic. The fact that you are a house of love, you're a house that wants to gather people uh, so that they find community, find a place at the table, which is really what I want to talk about today, uh, find a family, find a home, find a tribe. Um, even as Pastor Danny mentioned on the video, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, he mentioned that he would be uh, believing that this would be a year of identity for you and that you would know Love City Church and you would know the call of God on your life 
not just in serving pastors Ryan and Stephanie, but every member of the church. I believe that God has a sense of identity and calling and destiny and purpose for every single one of you so that you would know what the call of God is on your life. You would know what the placement in the body uh, really is, and you would know that you're loved and you're cared for, not only by each other, but by God himself. And sometimes he expresses that love through people so that you would know how high, how wide, how deep, and how unending his love is for you. And I just want to tell you today that I believe your name is the right name. I also just want to say to you, I believe even just a sense of, of prophetic uh, grace upon this church. The, the number two is a very powerful number uh, in the Bible. And uh, if you're not aware of this, the number two conveys the meaning of union. Um, it, it is a, a number also that, that speaks of, of being able to break down larger numbers by division. And uh, I, I actually kind of feel two things in relationship to this that I'm saying to you just because I believe God's been saying this to me during the worship service. And uh, I, I'm not, if you're from another church tradition where somebody would prophesy by, by closing their eyes and yelling at you and, and declaring the word of the Lord in that way, I, I'm not prophesying in that way. I'm just talking to you because I believe God's shown me some things. And, and, and one is that um, you're going to have the ability to break down large things and things that seem complicated and overwhelming. Like, how, how could God love me in my sin? And how could God take me at my place of brokenness and really love me? You're going to have the ability to divide that and break it down in a personal kind of way. You're going to bring what seems large all the way down to the individual. How many, how many would just say, I, I, I want that in my life? I want the ability to make complicated things seem simple. And I want to bring the love of Jesus right to the smallest individual right where they're at. Well, that is one thing. The other thing is union. Um, the, the, the number two conveys the meaning of union. It's man and woman brought together in marriage. That's the first time you see the two people becoming one in the book of Genesis. God brings union out of two individuals and people together, not separating them. So it's going to be known for breaking large things down and making them practical and bringing uh, two things that are divided together into one. And I just want to tell you, this house is going to be known for marriage restoration. This house is going to be known uh, for, for bringing um, conflicted parties, people that are opposing each other, and even viewpoints that are opposing. You're going to have the ability to make complicated things simple. You're going to have the ability to make large things seem small. You're going to have the ability to bring fragmented relationships together. This house is going to be known as a house of love. This house is going to be known as a house of unity. This house is going to be known, and I believe even as you enter your third year, you're going to see the fulfillment of the number two working all year long. Get ready. I believe get ready. Come on now. Get ready. Get ready for God to work in your life, not just in the church. The church is you. So get ready for God to work in you in this way. Well, hey, this morning I have some things I want to share with you, and uh, I, I don't want to take um, too much time um, to, to get into this. I, 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 I want to talk to you about gathering at the table this morning uh, and what I believe that means even in relationship to who you are. But before I get to that, I want to show you a couple of pictures 
uh, of people that are not here with me, but they really matter to me, and uh, they stand here with me. The first one is my wife, Michael. Uh, this is a picture of her, and she planned to be here, but really th some, some things kind of got thrown into our lives that required her to be at home. Uh, she loves Ryan and Stephanie as well and would love to be here, but uh, I, I had bought her a plane ticket to come, and I've had to kind of put that in the bank, so I told Ryan and Stephanie, I'm going to send her up here by herself sometime, uh, and so she can come and spend some time with you, which she was really disappointed she couldn't be here. Uh, we've been married for over 20 years, and we have three kids, and um, they keep us hopping, and I'm going to show you a picture of them as well. Uh, they are uh, Mariah, Judah, and Noah. Mariah on the right is uh, almost 19 years old, which is hard to believe. She's in college. My son Judah in the middle is turning 18. He's uh, in his last year of high school. My son Noah, uh, who is the tallest of the three, is just turning 16. Both my sons are taller than I am. Uh, both are probably even at this point stronger than I am, although I'm stronger with my words and my, my threats, and so they, they don't try to use their strength on me. But uh, anyways, uh, Ryan and Stephanie would know them well because they were little guys when uh, they were with us in Centralia, but they, they send their love to you today and would love to be here, but um, can't be because of so many things going on at home. So um, anyways, I stand here with my whole family today. I want to read two scriptures to you uh, this morning, and uh, I will actually kind of pepper in a few other ones along the way and, and, and throw them in along the way, but I want to talk to you about gathering at the table today um, because I believe that this is a, a word for you and for, um, I believe, the church at large. But um, I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm also going to read Acts chapter 2. And I want to read these two verses to you and, and really draw some attention to the fact that gathering at the table is central to the lifeblood of every church. It's central to the flow of life and the flow of love at Love City Church. And um, I, I want to I frame in what I mean by gathering at the table and hopefully lay some framework that would even lend to what God is going to do in year three with you as a church family. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26, I'm going to read from the New Living uh, Translation. It says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. Everybody say supper. So what was happening here was more than a cracker and some juice. There was actually a full-blown meal where they were enjoying each other's company and relating together as a family in a context of love. And Jesus was sharing some things with them that were pivotal and, and vital to the future of church ministry and kingdom efforts on the earth. So they were having supper, and this is what he said. Now listen to what he said. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. See, the, the table is actually a point of connection between heaven and earth. What the church is is more than a gathering where we sing songs. When people gather together in the name of Christ, there is a point of connection between heaven and earth. It says, and it's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now let's fast forward a little bit. Jesus is crucified 
dies the most horrific death that's ever known to mankind, goes into a tomb and is buried for three days, and after three days, the Spirit of God comes into the tomb, life reinvigorates his body, he comes back from the dead, and he begins to appear to his disciples, and after appearing for, for a number of days and teaching them things concerning the kingdom of heaven, he ascends back into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, the disciples are standing there looking up into heaven, and they're wondering, man, what are we going to do? This Jesus, this Messiah, this man whom we followed actually is no longer here. What are we going to do? And there's an angel of the Lord that says to them, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of my Father. Wait for the promise of my Father, just like he told you. Because Jesus told them, I am going to go away. I'm going to go away, but I will come again for you. In the meantime, though, if you'll wait for me, I will send the promise of my Father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He actually issued to them a global call. He issued to them a mandate to take everything that he had taught them and everything that he had imparted to them, and he said, I'm going to empower you with this thing called the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go out. So they went into Jerusalem and they waited. They went into an upper room, 120 people, and they prayed and they sought God and they waited and they fasted and they said, God, we're waiting for this promise. We're waiting for the revelation. We're waiting for this empowerment. And the the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on them. And man, it was a powerful encounter and they were empowered to be a witness to lost people and to show the love of Christ and to go out and declare his goodness to people that didn't know Jesus. And then the Bible tells us how they lived it out. Listen to this in Acts chapter 2. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now we're talking about the people who were saved and they were added to the church. The Bible says they uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which were the early church leaders. They were the first church pastors and elders and and, and the ones leading the church. They, they, They listened to their teaching and the Bible says, and the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, they attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Everybody say day by day. Day by day, day, those who were being saved. So the church became a force. The church became a movement. It wasn't just a gathering. It became uh, a leavening agent. Like yeast would be put into a lump of dough. The church, the body of Christ, took on the message of Jesus. They were empowered by his spirit. And they lived out that message, both gathering together in a congregation and meeting together in homes. And what was central... What was central to this was something called the table. It was called the table. Now, I grew up in, uh, in, in western Washington, down in, in, in the good old USA. My parents uh, had kind of uh, migrated out from the East Coast. They were born and raised in North Carolina. My dad never made it past the eighth grade, and my mom didn't finish high school. And my dad actually, at 17, got his mom 
to uh, uh, forge a signature for him or, or lie on his military entrance form saying that he was actually 18 so that he could get into the military because he didn't see any other way of, of making a living. So somehow he talked his mom into this and, and my dad went into the military and when he was home on leave one time, he was up in the mountains of North Carolina where he was raised and there was one little burger shack about 30 miles away from where he grew, uh, grew up and so he went down to that burger shack one day to get a burger and he met my mom. And my mom was working there as, as a, a young girl, just mountains of North Carolina, uh, wanted to finish school and had dreams of doing something great. She met my dad, and, uh, and, and so they started corresponding. And uh, as, as he went back uh, into his deployment again, he, he wrote a letter and he said, when I come home on the next leave, I, I'm going to marry you. He didn't ask her. He just said, this is what I'm going to do. And, and so he sent this letter and he said, I'm going to marry you. And so when he came home, that's what he did. He, he borrowed $50 from his parents and, and they went down across the South Carolina line because she was underage um, and, and they couldn't get married in their state. And my dad had begun to live a life of finding a way to get around rules. And so he took her down. Actually, it wasn't South Carolina. It was Kentucky. They went into Kentucky, and they got married. And, and as he got out of the military, he couldn't find work. So he heard that there was work in the woods in, in the northwestern part of the U.S. And so he loaded everything in a car and drove across the United States, and they set up camp and began to develop their home. They didn't know anybody, but what they did know is they knew that they loved Jesus, and they knew how to cook. And my dad knew how to work. And so they started inviting neighbors over to eat. And as they started to invite neighbors over to eat, they started to share the love of Jesus. And as they started to share the love of Jesus, people who were far from God started to get saved. And as they started to get saved, they all started kind of looking for a church, and, and they ended up finding their way into a church that I was actually born into, raised in, discipled in, and, uh, and, and to this day, I have great appreciation for what God did in that location, and in that small town, and in that local church. And it happened because my mom and dad uh, knew that the family needed to not only meet together in the home, but we also needed to meet together uh, together with other believers. And uh, in both places, what I found was this amazing thing called food, table, community, and relationship. I love the fact that in the water baptism tank, the lady who got baptized said, I came here and I found community. Everybody say community. There's something that I believe God has designed that the family is to center around and equally as much the church is to center around. It's something called community. It's, it's a table. And I don't know what statistics are necessarily in your nation, but I know that at least in the U.S., and I think it's becoming a North American thing and even out into other cultures, the culture today is far less adept at the practice of table fellowship than it was 60, 70, or 80 years ago. In the 1960s, families ate together an average of five times a week, up to 90 minutes at a time. In 2018, the average family eats less than one time a week, and the average length of a meal is 12 minutes long. It's very interesting to stop and just realize the statistics of what happens in a home now versus 60 years ago. When it comes to table fellowship, meals are really now more about eating food, whereas historically the table was a place where identity was formed. 
It was a place where stories were told and traditions were passed on and meals were cooked and people got to celebrate the fact that, that we're a tribe, we're a family, we're in something that's larger than ourselves. We know what kind of foods we like. We know what kind of stories are being told. I want to tell you that on your anniversary Sunday, stopping to look at a video is much more than a unique aspect of a service. It's actually where identity is formed and story is told. This is, this is really, while we're not having a meal this morning, this is a table gathering. This is a time where we come together as a family, and the centerpiece of the table is not the turkey. The centerpiece of the table is Jesus himself. He is the meal that we partake of. He is the essence of the, of the family name. He is the one, by the way, on whom we derive all of our identity. Jesus Christ, I'm going public with my faith, was a statement that was made multiple times this morning. What is our faith in? Our faith is not in Love City Church. Our faith is in the God of Love City Church. It's in the person, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins and, and redeems our lives, and he brings together polarized people into one new tribe, into one new family, and there's a name that's spoken over us at our baptism. There's a name spoken over us as we lift our hands in worship, and that's the name King Jesus. He's, he's in charge of our lives. He's the Lord of our lives, and we exalt him more than we exalt our own name because he is in charge of our lives. The church, I believe, like the family, has actually morphed over time, and we've allowed culture to actually shape our view of what church should look like. We actually view church as a place to attend rather than a family we belong to. We, we actually begin to look at church as a, a place where we want to go and consume rather than participate. Can I tell you that family Family has times where we get to derive benefit from it. My kids love Christmas. <laughs> they love to get up on Christmas and say, what did you get for me? But can I tell you that there's the day after Christmas that happens where I'm like, all right, let's clean up the house. Let's clean the garage. Let's, let's do what's necessary because yesterday everybody got something. Today everybody's got to give something. So we're in this as a family, and and we're actually deriving our identity from a particular name. I tell my sons on a regular basis when, when they want to make a decision, I, I, I say, well, let me tell you how the Corbin family thinks about that kind of decision. Why? Because I'm trying to impart a DNA. I'm trying to establish something in them that's larger than just themselves. Because if every man lives on his own, every man just does whatever's right in his own eyes. But I don't believe the church and following Jesus is, is a, a, a license to do whatever's right in our own eyes. It's actually the surrender of our own right to center our lives around a table under a particular name and say, Jesus, you're in charge of my life. Jesus, disciple me. I'm, I want to become what Love City Church is. I want to establish the kingdom of God in this place. You see, without this kind of a view and this kind of a heart, we actually form a social club when in reality, God's not interested in forming a social club. Yes, he'll meet social needs, but he's actually interested in forming family. He's actually interested in, in the bond of two things that are divided coming together in one. So what is, what is the table? Why am I saying this? Why, why are we going down this road today? Why are we thinking this? Because I'm, I'm telling you that the table for the church even the table for your home is much more than a piece of furniture. 
The table is much more than a moment in a service where a, a cracker is handed out and some grape juice is, is, is swallowed. The table is much more than a moment in a service. The table is a sacred place. And I'm going to put a definition on the screen here for you that I want you to see about what the table really is. The table is a sacred place where Christ is the center and participants experience a foretaste of eternity. I want to tell you what I mean by that. First of all, it's a sacred place. What is a sacred place? Sacred means connected to God or, or, or dedicated to a religious purpose. It, it, it deserves veneration. It deserves honor. It deserves respect. It deserves reverence. And, and uh, not only by an individual, a pastor, an elder, a ministry leader, it actually deserves respect from the whole group of people that are sitting there. This moment is sacred. This place is sacred. God is doing something in this place. I, I want you to understand here, when Jesus gathered his disciples at the table and he started to break bread and have supper with them, uh, he was actually teaching them how sacred and beautiful a moment is when you gather around uh, the work of Christ and the ministry of what Jesus is doing in the earth. It's sacred. It's holy. It's beautiful. Can I tell you, as you enter into year three, it is time like never before to look at Love City Church and say, this is a sacred place. This is holy ground. This deserves attention by all of us, not just one of us, but this is something that God is doing in Calgary. This is doing something that's born of the Lord. This is doing something that started in in God's heart many years ago. I want to tell you, there was a day Ryan and Stephanie sat with us at Olive Garden and they said, we have it in our hearts to plant a church. We see what God wants to do with our lives. And he said, I would love nothing more than someday to plant a church and to have you come and stand in the pulpit and preach to my people. And I'm telling you today that that was a sacred day, sitting at a table, having a meal, discussing what God wanted to do. And today, you're the fulfillment of what was born first in the heart of a man and a woman for the city of Calgary. And I believe if God birthed it in them, and we talked about it years ago, you're sitting here today as the fulfillment of something that God is doing. Not the fulfillment of the mind of men, but the fulfillment of what God is doing. And today, I believe, is the beginning of the fulfillment of the next chapter. It's like this thing that we've got to stop and recognize this is holy. This is beautiful. We find... Uh, that in creation, God not only created man and woman for relationship with each other, but for communion with him. And when we talk about the love that God birthed in the Garden of Eden, he, he established boundaries around the garden. And uh, I, I find it interesting that the one particular boundary that he established and spoke about in Scripture was boundaries related to their food. It was related to the table. It was related to the meal. You see, Adam and Eve could eat together anything they wanted, but what they did eat was sacred. It was holy. There were some things that were not to be for them. Other things were to be for them. And so there's a sacred nature to gathering at the table, not only for Adam and Eve in the garden, but God, the Bible says, would come in the evening, I believe around supper time, and he would actually interact with them, and he would relate to them, and he would talk with them and walk with them. The table was a place of communion both with each other and with God himself. Everybody say a sacred place. See, God established in the garden a sacred place of food and fellowship. 
But at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people, even after sin, a table was established in the midst of Israel. It was called the table of Passover. It was the table where they would stop and recognize we are a sinful people, but we serve a sinless God. And so while we come together as a tribe around the Passover meal, a lamb is slain and bitter herbs are eaten and they would go through an entire ritual in the Old Testament and in that ritual they were declaring their own personal lack and their need for a Savior and it was a table of communion with each other and communion with God himself. So in Eden, a table was at the center. In Passover, there was a table at the center. And in the New Testament, the table was central to Christ's life and the life of the church and the book of Acts. I just find it interesting that even all throughout the New Testament, whenever they would share what we call in modern-day church the communion table or the covenant table, we, we serve a little cracker and some juice, but they would actually get together for a meal. And in the midst of the meal, they would stop and reflect on the sacred nature of what Christ would do in our lives. I find that interesting that not only did the church practice this, but in the book of Revelations, we actually find the table and fellowship and relationship is actually central to how God himself views his relationship with you. Listen to this. It's Revelations 3.20. I'm going to put it on the screen here for you. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. God himself wants to have a meal with you. What does Calgary need? Calgary doesn't, doesn't need a church that gathers and assembles for show. Calgary needs, needs a church where people are brought to a table of fellowship where they experience the love of every individual in this room on a horizontal level. And they encounter a God who's, who's actually already knocking at their hearts. You see, I don't know every person in the room this morning, but this is what I do know, is over the course of your entire life, God's been knocking on the door of your heart. Little experiences, little, little moments where he's been whispering to you. You see an experience in... And maybe like water baptisms this morning, and maybe it started to touch your heart emotionally. Can I tell you that that was God knocking on the door of your heart? A door is, is a boundary marker. It's, it's human choice. It's the ability to, to shut something out or to welcome something in. I've done door-to-door -door sales in my life. I, I can't stand it. How many know what I'm talking about? When you approach the door, you know you're going to get probably one of two answers, and one is no and one is yes. Jesus is telling you today he's actually standing at the door of your heart and he's been knocking. Why? Because he doesn't want to come in and tell you everything you've done wrong. He actually wants to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. You see, a table is not about a piece of furniture. It's not about the beauty of the food that you put on it, especially in our Pinterest culture today. It's about what is exchanged between humans. It's what's exchanged between humans and the divine. The table and fellowship and relationship is about this thing that causes me to want to separate from others. And instead, I, I put down the barrier and I realize I've tried to find my identity in everything else. But today... 
I'm going to find it in a family and that family that's under the name of Jesus. I'm going to find my identity, not in Corbin any longer. I'm going to find it in Jesus. Jesus changes who Corbin is. Jesus changes who my family is. And so whatever family baggage and bondage I bring to the table, Jesus makes it all new. Jesus actually breaks the bonds of yesterday. Jesus does a work of restoration. When I go into the waters of baptism, I'm actually buying into death and burial, and then resurrection from the dead. I'm actually made new with Christ. I'm actually set on a new path, and something's established in me through the work of Christ that would never be there otherwise. Every every meal from Eden to Passover to Jesus sitting at a covenant table with his disciples and the church in the New Testament, every meal had one simple goal, and that is to reflect family. We're coming together as one family, and Jesus is king. There's a a scholar who writes on on many New Testament passages. His name is N.T. Wright, and I was reading his thoughts on this particular subject, and, and this is what he said. He said, when Jesus himself wanted to explain what his death that was forthcoming was all about, he didn't give them a theory, and he didn't hand out an outline he sat down at the table and had a meal with them. Can I tell you that what Calgary needs is a church that says, I love you. Come to the table. You're not going to be judged at the table. You're not going to be looked down upon. This table is sacred space. And when you come in, this moment is holy, and my conversation with you is holy. Your entrance is onto the team is holy. How you do ministry, how you hang pipe and drape, and how you run sound and lead worship and greet people at the door, how you attend small group and sacrifice your own family time and energy, it's holy. It's sacred. It's, it's something that deserves honor. I'm not being asked to serve as if service takes something from me. No. I'm giving myself to the Lord. When I, when I have a group in my home and I invite my neighbors over and we sit at a meal, the food is holy food. I'm actually bringing them to a table and allowing them to, to get to know people and having a conversation that not only is at a sacred place, but the second thing that I need to tell you today is that the table is a Christ-centered gathering. It's a Christ-centered gathering. Christ-centered gathering. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll put it on the screen. It says, this is my body. Jesus is, is saying these words, these are, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus was central to the Passover table. He was central to his own table when he sat with the disciples. He was central in Acts chapter 2 to the table. And can I tell you that every one of us in the room need to begin to understand in a whole new fresh way when we come into this place on Sunday morning, the leaders are not central. Jesus is central. 
Jesus appoints leaders, yes, and his leaders represent him. But I'll tell you, we'll get off track if we actually start looking at leaders as if they're our savior. Leaders are not our savior. Jesus is our savior. It's a Christ-centered gathering. My wife and I have a group on Friday nights, and I'm, I'm going to wind this down here in just a moment. We have a group on Friday nights. We have um, a number of couples that are probably right in our same season of life. I'm 45 years old. My kids are getting really close to all being gone from the house, and, and it's like a whole new season of life. We're having to figure out how to fill all this time that we used to fill with our kids, and it's just it's crazy. We decided one of the things we're going to do is spend more time at the table. And that can be problematic, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, we were bringing all these couples together, and one of the things that we decided to do as a small group was, was always invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus to come and sit at the table with us. And there would be no agenda other than before we eat to stop and to pray and to acknowledge the fact that even the food on the table and the house we sit in and the relationships we have all are found in Jesus. He's actually the source of everything. God, thank you that you put breath on our lungs. Thank you that you provided these amazing friends. And God, we thank you even for the problems that we have, how you're working in our lives and you're solving our problems. God, you're giving us wisdom every day. We thank you, God, that in the midst of our trials and our tragedies, God, you're working in our favor, even when we don't see it. We pray a very simple prayer like that, and while we're having dinner, we share life. People are talking about their triumphs and their tragedies and their difficulties and their struggles. And last week, we actually brought a bunch of groceries for one of the families. They didn't know it was going to happen. We brought a bunch of groceries for one of the families, and he's been out of work for four months, and their cupboards were bare, and they're getting to the end of their finances, and they didn't know it was going to happen. And we brought so many groceries, they didn't know what to do with it. Their car was stuffed with groceries on their way home. And we did it not through a program at the church. We did it at the table. And we participated at the table. And, and, and when they were sitting there weeping, we laid our hands on them and we said, God, we believe you're going to do something. You're going to provide. You're going to break through this barrier in their life. God, do something supernatural. And that week, we had group on Friday, on Tuesday. On Tuesday, he signed a contract for work that, that actually just blew through the limits of their financial needs. Something shifted in their life. And I believe it shifted because we put Christ in the center of our tribe. We put Christ in the center of the table. And we realized everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. And when you build a Christ-centered gathering, I want to tell you, people's needs are met. They're not met just through program. They're met through people. And when they're met through people, in the context of relationships, man, love shows up. Not just the love of my own heart, but the love of God himself. This is what I believe, that the table is not only a sacred place, it's a place where Christ is the center. And the last thing it is, is it's a place where we taste eternity. You see, Jesus said, do this until I come. Meaning, what we experience here and now, see the worship that we experience here this morning is only a taste of what's coming. And if we don't keep eternity in view, if we don't think about the long haul, if we don't think about life after death, then all we do is kind of run around and work hard. And we spend our energy on something thinking, I'm looking for temporary fulfillment. 
But you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking, I'm looking for the day where I stand before Jesus face to face. And he says, hey, what did you do with what I put into your hand? I gave you talents. I gave you finances. I gave you time. I gave you, what did you do with that to share my love with other people? You see, in eternity, the Bible tells us we're going to sit around a table again. You see, it wasn't just in Eden, and it wasn't just the Passover, and it wasn't just in the early church. But in eternity, when, we, when you and I enter into eternity, the Bible says all those who are in Christ, all those who found their identity in him, are going to sit down at a table called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's a covenant table, a table where Christ is the center. And in a sacred space, all those who are in his family, who are known by him, get to have a meal together. And what are we going to do? We're going to celebrate what Jesus did in our lives. And we're going to honor him and thank him and appreciate him. And we're going to enter into worship as a family like we've never worshiped before. Because we're going to see God face to face. Until then, we have meals. But we have meals that look forward to eternity. I, I want to pray for you today. And what I'd love to do is actually just have you stand to your feet. I, uh, I want to pray for a couple things here this morning. And the first one is simply this. If, if you're here today and uh, maybe you've been maybe you've been listening to what I say and you think, man, that's, that, that's it. That's, that's the word for me. And uh, I want to position myself this year to be used by God, um, to create a table culture in our church, a table atmosphere, a I want to respond to be a vessel for, for that kind of kingdom activity. God, whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you want to use me for, if it's neighborhood group ministry, God, if it's serving in the church, if it's stepping outside my comfort zone and loving people, God, whatever it is, I just want to be a candidate to build that. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. I just want you to say, man, that's, that's, that's me. That's me. I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to respond in faith today. And I'm going to build that kind of church in Calgary. Just lift your hand high. I want, to, I want to see this. Just bold faith. Just say, man, I'm going to build that kind of church in, Cal in Calgary. All right, you can put your hands down. Uh, I'm going to ask a second question here this morning. With just every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to give you a moment to ponder and to think. If you're here today, Maybe you're, maybe you're distant from God. Maybe you've never really known God. Maybe you've heard of God, but you've never opened your heart to Him. And you're not having a meal with Him. You're not in relationship with Him. You're not in fellowship with Him. But today, you would say, Daryl, I, I heard that verse in Revelations chapter 3, and I want to open the door of my heart to have a meal with Jesus. I want to receive Him as my Savior. I know this would be a bold thing to do, but if that is you, Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But if you want to just begin this journey of opening the door of your heart and asking Jesus to come in 
would you just make eye contact with me today? You don't even have to raise your hand. You don't have to get out of your seat, but I just want to pray with you. And I want to pray that God would meet you where you're at. Come on, just make eye contact with me and say, today is a day where I'm going to open up the door of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. There are four people this morning that have responded and just said, I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Church, I'm going to just ask you to pray this prayer with me, and I know our time is gone, but I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer with me, and then I'm going to turn it back uh, to Pastor Ryan. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for being my Savior. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to sit at the table with you. And I want to build a table for others to sit at. And help me do that with my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, I'm going to just ask you to do one more thing. Would you just lift your hands? I know it's a bold request, but, but, but what this is, is it's just simply a way of saying, Jesus, I kind of give you everything. I surrender everything to you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this amazing group of people. And God, I thank you that today, Lord, today on this second anniversary, God, you're going to bring together, God, things that are in opposition. You're going to unify. God, you're going to do a great and a mighty work in this place. And God, I pray today that the power of your Holy Spirit would fill this room, fill every person whose hands are lifted, strengthen them, bless them, renew them. And God, I pray that year three would be better than year one and two. God, I pray that you'd take them over the top, Lord, and fill this place over and over again. And I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.